Welcome to the Nordic Mythology Podcast. I'm Daniel Farrand, owner of the company Horns of Odin. And before we jump into the show, I do want to just do a little bit of housekeeping because we do have to try and keep the lights on here. So if you are able to check out our Patreon, it's just Patreon forward slash Nordic Mythology Podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. It's £3 a month. You get a bonus episode every week. Usually we do it as a Q&A with the guest after the show where you can ask your questions either in real time if you're watching live or submit them before. And they're all available after and you get the whole back catalogue on the Patreon as well. And you also get the Storytime episodes with Jonas Lorenzen, which are a lot of fun where we sit down and read through one of the sagas. And it usually just ends up me and Jonas getting drunk, having a laugh, and they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. There's a bunch bunch of other benefits. You get access to our Discord channel and we have a nice little community over there. Really, really, really nice loyal fans that we've kind of built up over the time. And like I say, there is, you know, there's a whole team behind the podcast. Whilst I sit here and talk weekly, you know, we have a whole bunch of people who do the editing, the social media, the booking. So it's... Uh, it's a whole little hub and we have to try and I'd ha- I have to do these little plugs every now and then to try and bring some, bring some money. And I feel so awkward doing it, but you know, I appreciate everybody that does already subscribe. And if you can leave us a five-star rating and a positive review, wherever you get your podcast and obviously just follow us on Instagram, Facebook, all the things just at Nordic mythology podcast. But today I'm joined once again by uh, Jonas Lau Markusen. Yeah. No, I always panic, <laughs> always panic every time. Like before the podcast, I say bang on, and then as soon as it comes into real time, I'm just like, my mouth fills with marbles and I struggle. Yeah, sure. But you did good. Yeah. Yeah. No, welcome back. Perfect. We've been, I think we've been, Thank you. we've been talking a little bit, um, like privately for a little bit now, just kind of on and off about doing some designs together and me, usually me just appreciating the artwork that you post. <laughs> thank you yeah so yeah we're gonna we're gonna talk like i mean we've covered viking age artwork quite a lot on the podcast but it's always fun hearing the different perspectives of everyone's different style i think i think when yeah. we we've done quite a few episodes with with luciano but obviously i don't know if you've ever spoken with luciano kind of one-on-one uh, but, i've chatted a bit with him here and there there yeah but he's very yeah. he's very kind of uh if there's no evidence for it then you know he, he, <laughs> no tattoos yeah, yeah that's it yeah he's very kind of uh, straight down it and it doesn't necessarily play that much outside whereas you i love seeing you kind of creating your own stuff from from what's there yeah because it's it's hard to give hard uh, like yeah there's a lot of evidence of lots of stuff but but then again there's not we have so few examples of what would have been so you kind of have to not make up stuff but you have to read between the lines sometimes mm-hmm. or rather often to to get the full picture and to like we have a lot of metal stuff but jewelry and stuff like that but but we don't have a lot of uh, woodwork. We don't have a lot of uh, painted stuff. We were just talking about colors. There's there's not a lot of that. So you have to like glance at the the evidence we've got, the very few ev- evidence pieces we've got, and then kind of go with 
your intuition based on the, of course, the archaeological examples, but but you kind of have to use your like intuition based on mm-hmm. on your knowledge. It's a, it's kind of a weird thing, really. Yeah, because you have to you have to get it in your hand. You have to, at least that's for me when when working with the with the artworks and studying the styles. You get for each piece you you create, you get a better sense of the mechanics of the uh, ornaments of the uh, of the different pieces that go together to create a specific style. So, but you, but you can't necessarily like pick one uh, archaeological example out and then say, ah, this is why it's supposed to be like that because we got it here. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a little curious sometimes. Do you get much chance to actually get many artifacts in the hand? Or do you have to rely on replicas or buying replicas to be able to look at it? Or do you get an opportunity to really? I haven't yet. I've been very much had my head in in the books uh, up until now so i haven't been uh, much around scandinavia to study the artifacts of course i've been to the museum here in copenhagen but uh, but i'm i'm kind of i want to i want to get around now and, and study this stuff yeah. up front yeah first hand do you think they'd let you kind of i i've always wondered this in a sense would you have to like when you go to the one in Copenhagen, are you able to get any special access? And be like, and I, I haven't reason, I haven't uh, up until now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried? No, not really. I've I've been I've been in contact with a few people here and there, so I I could probably reach out and mm-hmm. and talk. Yeah. And see where it's getting <laughs> I me. Feel, uh, I feel like it would it would greatly help because it's one thing looking at it through through the glass. And yeah. you can take some pretty good photos if you get your phone right up against the glass. That's a little hint that Richard Wakeman taught me, uh, who's always taking pictures. He used to work in the British Museum. Uh, just put your phone against the glass, and it kind of gets rid of the glare. So That's you can a good get some, trick. Yeah, you can get some really good photos, but everybody that's ever done anything, if you can actually get a hold of it, you really get a completely different perspective, and, and you can look at it in 3D. Yeah, and especially with the uh, often the artifacts are very in very poor condition. Yeah, so you actually have to get it from different as different sides, photos of different sides to really get a sense of the relief, mm-hmm. the uh, details because they are often like the missile stuff is corroded and so it's it's uh, good pictures are everything for sure, and from different angles. Yeah. So for I guess for, for anybody every podcast could be somebody's first podcast. So hmm. for anybody listening, is there six six basic styles? Yeah, what is that? I think it's I mean I I think of them as seven seven styles seven. in the Viking Age, yeah. Okay. And then we got the uh the preceding styles too from hmm. the migration period and up. So, um, so if we have the if let's say we have the seven styles, I'm going to go with you. You're the expert. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we can call you an expert. Uh, well, 
So if we have the seven stars, do we find that we have more archaeological finds and evidence and and actual physical artifacts that you can look at and study for the later ones? And then as we go further back, does it get rarer? Is that a is that kind of how it would work? Or do we have like a good example of everything? Or is it no, a little it's, bit? It's um, not really. It's it's very different from period to period because uh, fashion changes uh, okay. through the times. So sometimes in some periods we have very specific artifacts like the box brooches and stuff like that that uh, that are developed over a period of time. Mm -hmm. So you have, um, and that's a very, uh, very important thing because then you can trace a style over a time period on the same type of artifact, but you don't always have that. You know, that's a particular fashion with the, with the brooches and that uh, starts a certain time and then ends a certain time. Uh, but then after that, some other fashion may may uh, take take over in a in a different kind of um, area. Like um, you might have more woodworking, or suddenly runestones becomes the thing in the late Viking age. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, they are very important to to be able to trace styles um, over a period of time. Because you can see the the, the different motives evolve uh, very gradually, uh, but you don't have the rune stones in the uh, early Viking Age, for example. Yeah, you have other stones, uh, picture stones, and stuff like that, but but in a very confined time period as well. So, what, but what in in between there, you don't have any really rune stones or uh, in the same do, sense. What, what do the early ones look like? I don't think I've ever seen an early. Uh, the picture they, stones, or yeah, would, the would they? Yeah, yeah, the early, like the early picture stones. Would they look characteristically like a rune stone? Like just a? Are they if you're talking uh, the picture stones, uh, you must have seen them. The the Gotland, Gotland stones. Oh, okay. With the yeah. kind of the cartoons uh, pictures yes, on yeah. them. Yeah, I know. I know. I see. For me, I would have just called that a rune stone. That would have yeah. been. <laughs> which I guess. I don't think there's any runes on them as far as I know. Yeah, you know what? Like that's how I've done this. Well, this is like maybe 100, <laughs> episode 178. I've only just put the word rune in runestone and yeah. that there probably has to be runes on it to make it a runestone. I don't know why. Again, I just Yeah, but then again, many of the 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 stones we talk about as runestones, they don't really have runestones on them, but they are part of the same category. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, it's just a, a nice, handy uh, word to use for them. Like like Vikings, for example, Viking Age. You kind of have these terms to to refer to stuff. I feel like you're just trying to make me feel better. No, 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 no. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like that was a light bulb moment for me where I was like, oh, shit, yeah, there's a very obvious word in runestone that kind of probably diff like explains what it is. Yeah, why? Well, <laughs> well, I I have those moments sometimes. Yeah, we all do. We all do, man. <laughs> so yeah. okay, because I guess when I think of the wood or like the the Ernest style churches, 
you get mm. a lot of you get a lot from them. Um that's why I was thinking maybe the later ones have more it's easier to tell the distinct style or because you're getting a lot. I don't know. I feel like the the further we go back, the the less evidence there would have been. In some ways, and it also, I think for me, it also depends on what the um, how it's covered academically, because if uh, I, I rely a lot on, um, of course, works of scholars who have uh, analyzed the styles and have kind of. Uh, categorized and put terms on the different elements in an ornament. Uh, for example, the rune stones uh, have been described very well, and the development of the styles across them have mm. been descri described academically very well. Mm. Uh, whereas in the early Viking Age, there are some styles like what I what I would call the Oseberg style. Uh, or what equates to to what would have been the style back then, and not uh, as well described uh, in academic terms okay. uh, as the later styles. Mm -hmm. So you, at least for me, it, it's it's been harder to kind of get precise on on what is act what was actually the style back then in that mm. period because you know i can look up different stuff um, different artifacts but uh, the dating is difficult too so you have to really get nerdy yeah <laughs> and study different um, papers and stuff mm -hmm. uh, that focuses on very specific artifacts like brooches or swords or something like that to be able to um uh, yeah, get precise on what actually makes a style from that period. And for me, at least, it's been the earlier styles have been a bit difficult. Do we find the because I mean, as in like how how hard and fast are the rules about a style? Because obviously, it's e I guess it's very easy for us to want to put things in boxes and go, okay, we have these seven styles from this year to this year and it's these very nice i, I assume it's not that simple but no. when when you get that transition into another style i assume that that style is just popular for for that era but then do you get some because at the end of the day these people are artists do you get some artists who are like oh i'm just gonna do my own thing like this is the style but i'm just gonna go completely over here and just be individual and do this completely different thing that you, so do you find like pieces from a time period that should typically be like Bora, but then it's just something completely different. Does that happen or is it pretty? Yeah, I think you, I, I can recall a, um, uh, I can't recall his name, but I know a few of the later runestones where it's kind of Urna style, but it's a bit off. But I don't know if I would call it a like a like a personal style. It's uh, to me, it looks more like 
they are they are done a little bit too fast and then oh okay the artists are stuck in in their ways in some sense a little bit sloppy yeah a little bit sloppy because it'd be like uh, yeah I can't recall the word for it but yeah it, it he probably had a lot of runestones to get through and he kind of had his way of going about it and yeah it worked for him okay do we ever get like a Oh, I I feel like a Picasso of, as in like, do you ever just get like an item that's just completely different? That's just that is just like an individual thing. Because it seems, I don't know. I feel like we're talking about human beings that are creating things. Um, so it would make sense that you would just get something that's just completely individual style. But it seems. I think that's a quite modern modern idea of the like the uh, artist genius that kind of goes on his own uh, exploratory uh, journey and uh, creates a whole new style uh, like Picasso or yeah, whatever mm-hmm. Van Gogh or, or someone like that. Um, it, it wasn't like that back then, at least not in, um, in general. Uh, and it's, I, I can't say for sure how a, a new style develops, but but it's uh, for sure very, very rooted in tradition all okay. the time. So each style is is slowly developing. And then you have some some little shifts here and there. But the I don't know, it's it's hard to say for sure how things suddenly pop up mm-hmm. like new ideas artistic new ideas in that time period of course we have um inspiration from uh, from um, southern europe and uh, like constantinople the roman empire and stuff like that like you know the Bracciates mm-hmm. uh, in pre-viking age you know you know about them right yeah with yeah, the yeah. uh Volin inscription here uh, a few months ago yeah um they were heavily inspired by roman medallions and i think you've you've been covering it on the podcast so it won't go too deep into it but just to say that that they are a great example of how a style or a rather a kind of an item an artwork item uh, develops or pops up, uh, becomes popular, because they were, to begin with, the uh, Scandinavian Bracciates were directly um, inspired by the Roman uh, medallions. But then slowly over time, they developed into a completely Scandinavian um, expression. Okay. So you can't even really... It's and a lot of academics ac- academics have compared uh, the Scandinavian models to the um, the Roman models, the earlier Roman models. But but you kind of miss um, miss the content or the um, what they are about when you kind of uh, draw that direct line back to the Roman uh, mm-hmm. pieces, because when they are developed in Scandinavia, they turn into something completely different. And the um, the Roman uh, medallions are very symbolic in their 
uh, images, um, like the emperor is depicted, and I can't recall all the details, but 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 just to say that they are symbols of power and the uh, symbols of God, of uh, the emperor, of stuff like that. Whereas the um, Scandinavian bracteates, they work in a very different way with the um, with the artwork on them. They um, they kind of work more with the different elements, making the uh, the gold piece come alive mm-hmm. um, on the surface of the piece itself. I don't know if you follow me, but but it's um, yeah. it's a very different way of working with uh, a piece of art. Because the the point is not to to communicate the power of the emperor. Um, the 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 point of the Brexits is to, at least in my uh, opinion, is to make the item come alive or make imbue the object with magic in a sense mm-hmm. to make it more powerful. Okay. And, and now I'm also just speaking in general with all the uh, animal ornaments because they kind of derive from this period with the metal, with the uh, bracteates. Uh, it's in this period that this kind of artwork slowly evolves into what we know as yeah, later uh, Viking Age uh, art and ornament. Mm-hmm. And we kind of see this develop into these... Uh, animal ornaments that kind of they they're not um they don't work the same way as we as uh, as art do today either like when you have a, a print on a t-shirt or a logo or something uh, art today or uh, artworks are usually made to communicate very directly they're meant today to be read very uh, easily in some ways. And then you can go into uh, all kinds of contemporary art and uh, that's a whole different uh, matter. But but if you look at like popular culture and and popular or art in popular culture, it's usually meant to be read very easily. So mm-hmm. you have a um, like, like kind of a logo or a brand in that sense. Um, put on a T-shirt on on your wall or something like that. Whereas the uh, the Viking Age art was uh, had a different role to play. So it wasn't the point wasn't that you were meant to to decipher the whole or to see the different elements right away. The point of them, or the point of the artwork or the ornamentation was to to imbue the object with with magic. So to speak. So, do you think that all does that all start with? Is it, is it does it start with fashion in a sense of that you have Scandinavia looking at kind of these Roman pieces and going, okay, we we like that and it's very cool, so people want to own their own little piece of that, and I guess they start started out very similar. And then, like you said, over time, they became their own thing. But is that just a case of like a fashion trend? 
and they yeah sort of because people, because what is fashion it's uh, among other things it's about uh, prestige and and uh, often it's about communicating that you're you're important you're an important person you you're rich you're wealthy you have connections you you're somebody that's mm-hmm. often the case and and of course that would be the same with uh, with uh, the fashion and the art in in viking age yeah and especially with the the Bracteage is a very good example because the Roman medallions was a a prestige object and uh, they communicated wealth. So they were used as um, jewelry in in Scandinavia. Yeah. Uh, And then slowly uh, developed into something else. Or they were still jewelry, but but, uh, they, they had they became something else from so the origin. Were most of these things made to be to be sold? Would they? Because I, I was thinking maybe that would be a, an idea why you might not get too much of a personal individuality to it. Because it's if you have a market of people who want a certain thing or a certain style, then you kind of stick to that because at the end of the day, you're there to make money. Um, I, I assume you know so much time goes into making these little pieces that are so intricate yeah. that they, yeah, they must be. I, I assume that they to be sold to, or would they be given away? How would like how would that work? Do we know? Yeah, it's hard to tell because how would you know? <laughs> really, we don't we don't really have yeah. any ledger of uh, commerce or something like that to to tell us about that. Um, but of course, they were. We 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 find found find a lot of uh, jewelry jewelry at the marketplaces around Scandinavia. So of course, they were they were sold uh, many mm-hmm. of it, many of them. But um, but they were also given as gifts and probably also uh, produced at a local magnet's uh, workshop. Um, and I would guess that. Uh, like the um let's call them the the main objects the 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 originals were maybe made in a in a magnate's um workshop and they were quite beautiful and they were original in some sort of way and they might inspire uh, other artists to recreate that uh in their small uh, workshops or at the marketplace uh, to imitate the, the um, these pre- prestigious objects going around. Do we see cheap copies of things? Um, I don't know if for, for most people if they know how I guess um, like taking a cast of something works. Usually you would have the, the first one is really clean and then as people kind of copy it over time, it, be, it loses its yeah. detail because people are just, they don't have the original. They're, they're taking a cast of of what was, they're taking a cast of a cast and then as it goes down, it's a cast of a cast yeah. of a cast. Uh, and you, exactly. you, know, you you lose that original detail. So do we see that where you kind of get these cheaper imitations? Absolutely. Of, of what would have been a... We see that a lot. 
actually. Yeah, for sure. So and that's, have... and that's uh, the same with the runestones we were talking about before, because it's it's uh, the image becomes unimportant in a way, because it's just an imitation of a fashion of a style. So so the message gets lost in a way, because it's just reproduction of a certain image or certain yeah. way of doing doing it. And we see that with the, uh, I've just um, posted yeah, for a few weeks ago about um, one of the boar gripping beast pendants. Yeah. From I was, the, yeah, I was I looking at that before we started. The, uh, yeah. That's a good example of, of an item that gets reproduced and reproduced and cast and cast again and again uh, to kind of disintegrate really in the ornaments. Did you think that would be a case of the, a king or an earl had this piece made or it was gifted to them and it was so beautiful. And then other people saw it or it had this almost famous kind of notoriety around it. And then other people were like, oh, I want that. Similarly how we do today. You know, people, I can't think of an, an exact example off the top of my head, but you have something that's very expensive and then you have a lot of imitation or cheap, much cheaper imitation for like yeah. everyday person. You can look at how a fashion is working today with fast fashion. You have all the uh, high high street brands uh, like Chanel and uh, so on. And then you have uh, the chain down to H&M and, mm -hmm. and all these uh, cheaper brands copying the style of the week of the year. Uh, yeah. So that in that way, I, I would guess it it would work similarly to that in in the Viking Age too, yeah. Mm -hmm. Because of course you would have these magnates or these kings and or royal families. Uh, they must have been the ones uh, being uh, forward in the in the style in the fashion um, because they had the means to to invest in stuff like that. Um, Whereas the commoners would not have had the same means. Yeah. Um, so you you could easily see how that's trickling down. Um, yeah. I've always, this is one thing that's always kind of baffled my mind when it comes to, to this. Because we get all these such ornate pieces and some of them are tiny with incredible detail on. And I've always wondered like how people practiced or how they, because obviously when you're drawing on your iPad with your eye pencil <laughs> or Apple pencil, uh, you can just rub it out and start yeah. again. And, or you can draw a line and it's not quite right. You can just tweak it. And, and you, there's, you know, there's a lot of technology that can help you get it perfect. But it seems like, you know, there's a lot of time committed to these pieces. So you're not just making them on a whim. No. And you're not you're not just investing the time and the money and the gold into making something, and then hoping somebody might come along and want it. It seems that these probably are commissioned pieces, so you kind of are having to learn and practice as you're going with the piece. And yeah, yeah. I've always wondered how they how they're practicing, how they. Yeah. yeah, I think that's that's where tradition comes in, really, because I I would think, and I don't know that for sure, but but that would make make sense to me that you would have some kind of uh, apprentice uh, set up with a a certain workshop somewhere uh, where you would yeah you would be an apprentice with a with a master of the style, 
and then it would be important to reproduce the style in a precise manner. Uh, and that kind of gives you a system where, yeah, where tradition becomes important and it, it's being delivered from generation to generation of artists, really. So, so do you think you would have a, would a certain style have a central hub? Is that is that represented in the archaeology that you'd have, like, one master in say an area or village, and then those pieces w- with a particular style would be made there and kind of then sent out from there, or would you have these pieces made all over? Yeah, I, I guess I, I'm not too sure about it, but but I guess that's the academic consensus. Um, but to me, it's, it's it's hard to say, really, because, of course, you know, Gotland has, was a power center. So they would, uh, of course, have a, have a, uh, have the means have a, become a power center of the arts, too. And we see that, obviously. But it's it's hard to to pinpoint really where, again, where a, where a style originates or because we don't have the full picture. Mm-hmm. So you can say sometimes or see sometimes that in a certain area, we find a lot of stuff in a particular style, in a particular type of artifact. Uh, and they may, they may be connected to a workshop site that we see in an archaeological context too. Mm-hmm. But I think it, it's, I think it's hard to, like connect that directly to to then say, well, this must be the place that it, that the this thing originates, because do you know really? Um, mm-hmm. You can you can you can say that a, a certain style was very popular, or a, a um, or that there were uh, many workshops in a place like Gotland, um, mm-hmm. or in Yelling or something like that, because obviously. But to say something specific about a style and its origin, that's that's hard, I would I would say. But yeah. uh, so I guess different it, people have different opinions about it. Yeah. I was wondering if it's not purposefully misleading, but because you get a lot of the lot of the style names are named after either where something was found or the find. So like Oseberg, I assume, is named that from the ship. And yeah, I, I would guess, yeah, and it the, is, it and is, you get, or the grave, get, yeah, yeah, and you get the Bora style because they were found in Bora, yeah, but then again, you have the Ringrigi style, which is named by a sort of stone that uh, were made for rune stones, but it has nothing to do with the style, so yeah, um, actually, let's let's put a pin in that because I want to come back to that, <laughs> um, but yeah, so you get these, these styles of where things were found, so. You kind of, or at least maybe me naively assumed that the maybe that that was where it originated, or that's where it came from, or that was where no, no, no. the central hub, or there was a master there, and that you know that was kind of like the powerhouse for this style. Yeah, no, usually it's uh, the the style will be named after a a certain find, okay. but it's it's uh, it has more to do with with the uh, with the archaeological find. Um, uh, more than when it was or where it was originating originally. 
uh, in the Viking Age. It's it's uh, like the Oseberg star, uh, or the Oseberg find is a spe- spectacular uh, find. So uh, obviously you would name a star after that because that's the first time you discover that star. Yeah, and the same with other stars. They uh, they get named after, for example, the Bohr find because you certainly suddenly discover a, a piece of artwork that is different from what you've seen before. So you name it after that place. That's the gist you, of it. Do any of the styles only exist in the place where they're found? Is that, has that happened? Say, for example, with the Oseberg ship, like that's the first place you see that style, and but that's the only place you see that, like you don't find that examples of that anywhere else? Yeah, actually, especially with the Oseberg style, because that's a little contentious. Um, I've I've named it Oseberg style in my book, and and I I used the term to describe the style period from that time. But I don't know if that's uh, there's a consens- consensus about that or around that in in academic circles, uh, because that's a bit of a black black spot. Um, and I, and personally, I, I have a hard time seeing drawing the connections from like the Boer, Boer style before that, the Oseberg, to the uh, to the Boer style after the Oseberg style. But we have the Oseberg find right up in the middle between the two. Okay. So that's why I personally have have used the term because we see and and especially in what is uh, what we for sure can say is uh, made in that um, I, I mean uh, the Oseberg find to to give a little more description about it uh, is made up of uh, uh, different style periods really so you have uh, some some of it is in poor style and some of it is a little bit later what I would call Oseberg style and it's quite different from the later Boer style. So you have this, uh, um, these different styles, really. Mm-hmm. But in, at least to me, it's obvious that there is a through line between the three styles there. And I see a lot of, a lot of characteristics carried over from the Boer style to what we see in the Oseberg uh, find, and then onwards to the uh, to the Boer style. Is it possible that whoever whoever worked on the Oseberg ship and the grave and was just the Picasso of the Viking Age, and they were just like, "This is <laughs> this this is my my thing, and I'm going to do my own art style." This is this is it. <laughs> well, it, it, in some terms, it could look like that, yeah, because we we don't. But again, that's the difficult thing with the Viking art because. What is Oseberg, the Oseberg find? Well, that's woodwork, really. The majority of it is woodwork. Yeah. So how would you compare it to like the Boer find on Gotland that gave gave them its name to uh, the Boer style? Because that's uh, metal pieces uh, from a harness. And that's a complete, completely different artifact. Um, and again, with the Boer style, they are named after, or, or what we find a lot of is 
panels pieces or jewelry and stuff like that. So in that way, it's really difficult to connect the pieces because you have so uh, so much difference in in the outputs, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the 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 uh, Oseberg grave was uh, robbed or or uh, yeah destroyed, so so we don't have a lot of the metal work there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just I can't help but I don't know. I kind of think of people being individual, and if you were gonna make if you were gonna make this the I don't know because. I don't know if you were going to make something so elaborate it would be hard for me anyway but I'm only, I can only talk from like a personal perspective and a, and a modern kind of eye I guess that if I was going to have something built like the Oseberg ship or the chariot that's that's in there something that's clearly very ornately carved that I couldn't help but just be like I don't want this to look like anything else that's been made. Put like but a, see, a little twist I think on it. That's exactly um, the thing because what we were th- talking about earlier with the uh, tradition and you know the point with the style with the artwork is to imbue the object with magic. And what's more powerful than tradition, really? Mm-hmm. To uh, like like when we talk about the myths and uh, um, all these stories, they develop over over centuries, and the same with the artwork. That you uh, the 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 most powerful you powerful thing you can do in creating your art is to draw on the tradition, because it's fucking powerful. Yeah, it's imbued with this history. Your your lineage, your uh, yeah, all your cultural uh, stuff, your legacy, really, from your ancestors, from all that, all that energy, all that power, you're drawing into the object mm-hmm. through the artwork, in a sense. You've touched on the big question that I've been holding back because mm-hmm. I feel like there is not going to be an answer to it, but I have to ask it <laughs> anyway. And I, I and I, I guess that's. It's kind of why, like, why go through all the effort to ornately carve some of these pieces in the way that they do and do the art? Because the artwork, maybe to like an outside eye, is just like a bunch of squiggly lines going over and under each other. I don't know. Maybe to some people. But if you ever try to do it and actually draw it, it's fucking difficult. Yeah, um, you've got to know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, the the Ringerica style terrifies me i mess about like drawing and i it just was like it's it's insane to me um especially to do it well it's so easy to fuck up and make it look horrible mm. so it's like you said it's kind of that, that thing of putting magic into it but it's yeah i was just thinking like why you can't just be just because just to decorate um it can't just be like a monetary value of like oh look at this cool or, or could it, like, is it, could it, do you think maybe we really look that's, into it too that's much? Def- that's definitely, definitely an aspect of it because the, the more uh, elaborate, the more expensive, the more, you know, you know, the more it glistens, the more it's, uh, 
the richer you are, the wealthier, you, the more important you are. Of course, yeah. that's an aspect, but that's that is, not that the is whole a modern, story. I would say that is a very modern thing because we, well, some people do that today, don't they? They buy, they'll buy a T-shirt for two hundred pounds that's exactly the same as another T-shirt, but it's got a little tiny logo on it. But they know that anybody who looks at that little logo is going to go, oh, they've spent, they had £200 to spend on that T-shirt. So I guess it's a very similar thing, whereas we've maybe gone a little more minimalistic with it and things don't hold the same value, whereas I would much prefer to buy something that's taken somebody hundreds of hours to, to perfect. But again, the times are different and, you know, then it was very easy to to differentiate yourself and to signal that that you were wealthy by spending some wealth on on an object, mm-hmm. uh, because that's not um, yeah the commoners couldn't do that because they were not wealthy uh, yeah. or didn't have the same rich as the higher uh, the royal family for example or or. Uh, oh. I'm so but, curious. But, um, but again, to I I can't remember what we were talking on exactly. But I was just uh, wanting to get back to the importance of the uh, maybe the intricacy and yeah, why I, I, that is. Yeah, I guess, I guess the overall question was like, why go through the lengths to make yeah. these things so detailed, so complex? Um, like, what would be the reason other than like a monetary one to, you know, to kind of like show this is my wealth because this is so yeah. complex. Look at, look at this. Um, but is there something, I guess, my, is, is there something deeper? Is there like that spiritual kind of magic element to it? I think uh, definitely that there is. And though that would be my own interpretation, but uh, in my opinion, for sure, there's, there's something embedded into the artwork itself it's it's um it's not unimportant how it looks it's not it's um it's uh, very particular because it has to be to to uh, to convey this uh, or to imbue the object as i said before with with a kind of magic and you see and really, we see it from the Bracteates, the time period of the Bracteates, where it all began, and these this elaborate uh, animal ornamental style develops and appears in Scandinavia. Uh, we see it all through the, the before the Viking Age up until the end of the Viking Age, uh, where every object is just covered in this. Um, indecipherable mess of an ornament really um and why is that well it's it's because obviously or to me that that it had a purpose and we we even like i, I can't remember the exact uh, saga but uh, in the icelandic saga we we often we now and then have references to swords with uh, like legendary swords with little snakes on it that you have to uh, talk to in a certain way to appease it, to behave uh, and help you. Uh, otherwise, the sword will uh, just go amok and kill everyone or something like that. So it's, so there's references to this magic 
in the objects here and there too. Uh, and when you look at it, it's, it's just obvious that these were not meant to be deciphered uh, easily, as I was talking about before. The, uh, the point was... It, hmm? so do you think it's just something that's been lost over time then? That at the time, you would have had these things and people would have just looked to them and gone, oh, that means this, or it has this kind of symbolic meaning, but we've just lost that so when we're looking at it, i imagine there is a huge amount that we can't decipher and you look Absolutely. at it and it just looks like this like you say this mess of tangled beasts but to yeah, somebody at the time we've lost the um the sense of it really we've we've lost the um the um uh, we, we can't see it really anymore we don't know what we're looking at like they would have uh, it would have been obvious to them back then what they were looking at and how to how to perceive it, how to uh, um, yeah, how to perceive it. Whereas today we we have a completely different optics in the way we perceive things, yeah. like we were talking about before with fashions and brands and logos and the some symbolic value of of an artwork. Uh, it's a completely different mode of of uh, of experiencing art, of experience of of using art, uh, trading art. It, it's um, back then. It's it had a completely different purpose in society, mm-hmm. um, and and it was so heavily connected to to this uh, magic element. Yeah. Uh, connected to the myths, connected to, I see it especially connected to uh, shape shifting in general, because that's so embedded in the culture and the sagas and the myths and and uh, the graves we found, uh, and of course again the artwork where we have all kinds of uh, expressions of some animal or some uh, being uh, kind of uh, again the 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 um, the um uh just the thing that they are unperceivable to us right away is kind of a magic act because that um that kind of uh, sets a barrier between you and the object so you don't know what you are dealing with in a sense mm-hmm. uh, because it's foreign um it's liminal in a way because it's uh, it's neither this or that it's uh, it's some kind of weird untouchable thing yeah and that's that's a um, that's an effect that's used throughout the met or, or the artwork uh, we see it in the practice where we see um, in the Roman objects, in the medallions from the Romans, we have a very clear picture of the emperor on the medallions. Whereas the Scandinavian later versions, the Bractates, we have this, we have some sort of a king figure, figure on a horse, uh, but he's not that clear in his uh, portrayal. His uh, limbs is sometimes disjointed. Is sometimes uh, merging with the horse. There's examples where he's 
kind of uh, putting his arm into the horse uh, okay. in a way because you can't differentiate what is in front and what is behind. Yeah. And you have these animals, you have birds and horses and wolves and stuff like that in one kind of um, motion around the uh, the medallion or the bracteate, kind of morphing from one to the other and often coming out of the mouth of the uh, of the person depicted uh, the the motion of the ornament starts with the mouth like a mm. like a magic expression like yeah. a, casting a spell and then turning into a bird then turning into something third and That's, in that way it's so fascinating because they clearly had the skill to do such ornate details and then sometimes you look at it and it just looks like again it's probably very offensive but to like a, an untrained eye looks can look quite sloppy or um a little bit i don't know if rushed is the right word but i don't even know if childlike is the right word either but like you know very just not what you would i don't know what you'd expect but it's like i assume we must just have some complete different meaning or the um the intention is a little bit different because the skill is there to do something that's amazing, yeah. but the focus must just be on something else. I I guess does that make sense? Well, it, yeah, exactly. And the, it's the we're coming back to the same point because, uh, like in modern times, um, often the point is to depict something clearly. And and if you're making a portrait of something, you want it to look like uh, the person you're depicting because that's the whole point with it. Whereas here, it's it's not meant to look nice uh, yeah. in that sense or look accurate. The accuracy refers to the magic aspects of it. So if you, if you can generate uh, a certain style in a certain tradition, then you can imbue it with the magic that uh, is linked to that tradition. And the and the uh, and then it can turn out rather childlike yeah. in our eyes today. Yeah. So, why do you think it's littered so much with beasts and and sometimes undistinguishable beasts that look like nothing else? And I, I, I've always wondered where they come from because obviously in in sagas and mythology, obviously you have monsters. But at least maybe maybe this is, uh, I guess, modern perspective playing too much of a part. Where all the all the monsters that I can think of are kind of all based on real life things, other than maybe like a dragon. But I guess everyone knows what a dragon looks like. But again, is that just me thinking of what a modern dragon? <laughs> a mo yeah. yeah, is that just a modern dragon? <laughs> but you get. Other than that, like the monsters, like I guess Yomangandas, so like it, in my mind, it's like a serpent or a lizard type creature. Um, yeah, or it's uh, ask Matthias about it and he'll give you a, yeah. a story about that. And then you get, um, and again, like Slipnia would, would be like a horse type thing. But in, in the artwork, you just get these almost grotesque style monsters with, yeah, and a lot of them have like these big headdresses. And I've I've always wondered like where they where they come from. Yeah. 
again, we, we take it far too literal in in the modern times and how we how we perceive it and how we use it and the and the modern renditions of it like in in Vikings and uh, the popular culture is very much concerned about more of the the uh, obvious the the perceivable mm-hmm. uh, motives like uh, a, a ferocious wolf head or something like that or a, violent warrior type uh, stuff like that uh, or the the fantasy inspired stuff with the dragons and from Tolkien uh, in that yeah. uh, area but but when we look at art from the Viking age we don't have these categories in the same way and of, I often get asked like uh, how do you draw a wolf or bear or something like that in this and that style and it's like, well, it's it's not really possible. Yeah. You, well, you can you can turn out something that mimics a bear in in modern eyes, but but back then it's 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 exactly what you're talking about. This generic beast or this um, there's there's basically basically two kinds of beasts. There's birds and there's uh, uh, mammals, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Luciano once showed me one that he said was a lion, and I was like, "How the fuck do you know that's a lion?" <laughs> and he's like, "It's a lion." I'm like, "How the fuck is that? How is that a lion?" And I'm sure yeah. he he knows so much more than I do, and he'll have his reasons. I'm like, "Well, that's that's probably because we were all Scandinavian artists were inspired by like Roman artworks, and they had lions, so yeah. so you can trace it back to like." Uh, inspirational sources from from down there. Uh, I guess I would be a mythical beast at the time as well. I think we take yeah. for granted, like now we we can just Google like a lion, an elephant. We know they exist. We can go to zoos and see them. Whereas at the time, you would have maybe seen artwork or heard rumors from people who traveled and they'd seen a fucking elephant. How do you describe an elephant to somebody yeah, who's never exactly. seen an elephant? Uh, it's like... <laughs> That's a mythical monster. Yeah, completely. So, yeah, it's it's something that that exists in this land that you have to travel weeks and weeks and weeks to get to. It's not like anything. I guess what would be the closest thing in Scandinavia to an elephant? A moose? An elk? Yeah. <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of that's relatively anywhere near that similar size. Not even similar size. It doesn't size. come close, even. No, no, no. no like uh, or oh, a yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. How would you explain that? Yeah. Like imagine, oh, that's a <laughs> that's a fascinating one, isn't it? Like imagine seeing, imagine seeing a giraffe when you didn't know a, a giraffe existed, or maybe you just heard rumors of this animal that had a long neck. I don't mean long, yeah. like not not just a long neck, like a really fucking long neck. <laughs> uh, and then seeing it, you must be, it must be. Okay, do we do we see any giraffes in, in Nordic art? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in Nordic artwork. Do we? Is there like anything that we can? Uh, oh, that looks like a fucking. I'm giraffe. sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> it's just, I haven't come across it. It's just legs, and then the neck is like all the way around the knotwork. Yeah. There's a little head on the top. So you could you could perhaps interpret a lot of it as giraffes, really. Yeah, I guess. When yeah. it comes down to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, I mean, I I genuinely I genuinely love the style. 
But and like even now with like a lot of the the tattoos that I have, uh, like on my hand I have Tia and Fenrir. Um, but Fenrir is like it's a it's a wolf. Inspired, you can tell it's a wolf, but it's in, mm. it, so it is probably that like more modern. What's that? Stop. Interpre- interpretation. It's a wolf drawn using Viking Age artwork rather than what a wolf would have looked like, I guess, at the time. Or actually, yeah. a wolf would have looked like in the artwork. If you, oh, to, uh, if you could pick one out. Yeah. But again, I think yours is uh, it's Ringri style inspired or, or what's, what's your tattoos rooted in? Or is it a mix of different styles? I would say it's more mammon, I think. Ah, okay. Probably tell me if you Yeah. Yeah, it looks like uh, mammon, like the, yeah. The dots in the in the middle. Yeah. And the feet look like uh, mammon. Yeah. Mammon style too. <gasps> mm? Yeah, okay. So we've been going nearly an hour. I don't even uh, know. Yeah. Nearly about an hour. <laughs> Uh, I, I did want to touch on color because anybody who follows yeah. you, and if you don't follow you, people go and follow Jonas because the the stuff you do is incredible. I think you were when I first got into this whole world and carving horns, like your first book and the and your website was the only place at the time that I knew that kind of illustrated and tried to teach people how to do this because it is so fucking difficult on the if you don't know where to stand you don't and you aren't able to understand and break down what goes where because it can look like a a complete kind of not mess i guess but especially you know all the over the unders it's hard to differentiate and hard to work out but there is a pattern to it there are rules to it there are things you have to follow and you should do that's going to make it a lot easier and your work was the first place I saw that was like actually kind of like giving it away and giving it away for free at the time. It was like, here's the, here's the, <laughs> this, this stuff, try, you know, and really trying to kind of help people. Um, so yeah. definitely do go follow Jonas and pick up his books, but anybody like looking at your Instagram, the first things that stand out for me are the, the colors that you've been playing with. Uh, you have the, the little mask and then the little, head that you also have sculpted into clay is it which looks they look fucking awesome uh, thank you <laughs> they were fun to make really yeah. I bet. Yeah. um but yeah there's just this idea of playing with cooler because i think most people when they think of this artwork i think just naturally because of just pictures you think of them either in in gold or in maybe like ivory or the wooden ones are just Wood color, wood. Yeah, but no, <laughs> Ex- they were yeah. def- definitely colored. Yeah, and we and we see that uh, from most of the the things that that we find, uh, they are they are painted the wooden stuff, um, and even the metal stuff is um, is decorated uh, quite exquisitely, often with different colors of metal to invoke kind of a, a color play in the metal. Okay. So even there we see uh, color play and and colors. Um, but of course, when we're talking colors, it's quite difficult because we don't 
have a lot um, surviving to our time. So it's uh, it's difficult. Is but it just a case of finding like little fragments of color on pieces and then? Yeah, and again, the Viking Age and before the Viking Age, it's uh, uh, a period over centuries where we only have a few pieces here and there with colors on them. Mm -hmm. So even though we have a, a piece in, for example, Ernestal that are that is colored or painted, we can for sure say that everything in Ernestal was painted in this exact way. Yeah. So we can we can have an indication of how and that's where you kind of have like use your intuition based on on your experience working with with the artwork and the um uh, the mechanics of the style and of how how colors are used in metal and try in some way to transfer it to to woodwork and and what i've been working a bit with lately is to kind of try to like draw parallels between the ornament and metalwork and in woodwork for example and see where it where it uh, where there there is some kind of parallel mm -hmm. and for example texture patterns and stuff like that yeah uh, just to get have a, get a sense of how to go about it because uh, like the pieces I've I've done recently they are they are sculpted in in some white uh, polymer clay uh, but if you're gonna paint it it you can't just lather on a, a cover of paint and then call it a day because obviously the pieces were painted with various kinds of patterns. Mm -hmm. and different colors in a particular way yeah that, um, that's it you have you have these beautifully ornate pieces that then likely had a paint or were then painted with even more ornate decorative patterns and you wonder like what what details have been lost and then how that kind of air not aids um hinders being able to interpret these pieces because those details aren't there. Maybe there is something that was just painted on there that would have made it so much easier to be able to tell yeah. what these were. And we see that in uh, a few examples that comes to mind. Uh, just the um, herning uh, beam or, or woodwork. It's, it's, a, um, it's a piece of a beam from a church in uh, Herning, Jutland, Jutland. Uh, that has a little piece of a uh, style animal uh, painted in the background is black and then the I think the animal is uh, yellow and then there, there are a few details in red mm -hmm. uh, and most of the details is carved into the uh, woodwork itself uh, like for example the animal is yellow like I said and the eye is red, so that's uh, that's kind of an obvious go-to if yeah. you wanted to make it yourself. I I could have come up with that myself, but then we see uh, it has a um, like an ear that is uh, painted red. Okay, but but there's nothing in the um, in the carving that 
particularly tells you that that ear would have been a different color than yeah. the rest of the animal. Okay. Because it's just part of the the ribbon of the animal body. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and we funny. see on on in uh, the the yelling mound, we have a lot of uh, exquisite woodworking panels, like they are uh, open work panels, but in in like a two D, you could say. Uh, but but uh, like if you um, I can't recall. But if if you had a panel of, of wood and then carved out the outline of a of a, of an ornament, mm-hmm. and then uh, then they are painted in different patterns and and uh, colors. And there's nothing in the carving that would tell you how they were painted. It but was... luckily we have the paint uh, surviving to our day, so we know we can see how it is painted. It would be so good to be able to know exactly what they look like. And do you think it's just a case of that the paints deteriorate over time? Um, I don't know if Scandinavia suffered the same thing as some places in in the UK. I know when I visited Durham Cathedral, it's a beautiful, ornate cathedral. And a lot of the inside of that was painted in really bright colours. And then when the Protestants came around and came into power in the, the English throne, they were like, like it was then a negative thing to have really ornate churches. So they just went in and scrubbed all the paint from, yeah. you know, from the columns <laughs> and from the walls. So there's only like a tiny little bit that survives today. And I don't know if Scandinavia ever suffered anything similar. Well, no, I, like, I think what you just... could maybe compare a bit is uh, like the early excavations were not that... Well, for the time they were professional or kind of, but but to our measures today, they are quite crude in the way they they handled the woodwork, for example, okay. because yeah. you have to be very particular uh, to conserve uh, wood, even mm-hmm. not even talking about the colors, but just talking about the wood pieces themselves. Yeah, uh, they go today. I, I, I'm not an expert in this area, but but they go through a lengthy process, uh, like soaking in in uh, different fluids and stuff to to kind of preserve them in the in the shape that they were, to yeah. not to uh, distort the and shrink. It's almost I guess it's almost like impregnate them with something that would give exactly them, give the structure yeah. back to them. Yeah, and I guess the paints they were using would have just flaked off over time. It's not like... Yeah, I think it's, it kind of, uh, as far as I understand, it, uh, when you take it out of the ground, the ground it, it, uh, it very quickly, like right when you lift it out of the ground, it's very colorful. And then just in a matter of minutes or hours, it just complete, completely vanishes, oh, wow. more or less. So it's... Uh, it must have been incredible to to be at the Oseberg burial and lift yeah. things up off the ground to see the colors just beam at you, and then just just disappear, <laughs> disintegrate. Yeah, it's almost it's you know it's it's disappointing, but it's also a very beautiful moment for whoever is there holding it, and it's just this nobody else is ever going to experience that moment and that thing happening of just picking this beautiful item up with all the paint on it and then it's it's just gone a reverse uh, polaroid yeah <laughs> yeah it must be yeah and also you know as a, an archaeologist you must be 
so fucking disappointed when that happens. You're just like, what? <laughs> what? Where's the camera? Someone do something. Put it back on, yeah. and you can try and describe it all you want, but it's never gonna work. Yeah, we have we have some um, some illustrations of some of the early finds, color colored illustrations. So in that way, it it gets delivered to our time. But but that's that's the only way we know about it. Yeah, human memory is not always the best, though. No, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah. let's think what. I think of the last things we have to cover before we before we wrap up uh i guess i guess we we, we were going to touch on bringing the artwork into the 21st century how we i guess uh, yeah i don't know how you so it, in my mind like how we kind of touch on it a little bit with with tattoos and, and even mine in particular like if you want, if you're getting a, a tattoo of Benner and Tia, which I assume is a very popular tattoo, it's a very popular story, you want the wolf to look like a wolf. So I assume most artists then add a little modern interpretation onto making the wolf look like a wolf. And I guess that's kind of a thing of bringing the artwork forwards. And I found, you know, having a, a company a contemporary company who deals with, you know, like a carving horns or, or t-shirt designs in particular, the, the more original you go with a design and, and particularly like the more original and ornate and very of the specific Viking age you get, the less popular it is, even though people yeah. love the Viking age and they love the artwork, they, it's shitty to say it, but like people just want the modern interpretation of it. I, I can feel I, I really have to pick my words here because I don't want to offend anybody, and 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 I and I can completely uh, respect and and appreciate the artwork that people get nowadays. Mm-hmm. But still, yeah, that's that's well, that's kind of the thing that I was curious to discuss also. Because I would really, I would love if if people were a little bit more open to kind of dig a little, a little bit deeper into what is actually behind the uh, the artwork or what's like like and and I'm actually glad that we have this that this con- uh, conversation that we had because I think we got around a lot of what I actually would like to bring to the forefront and bring into the 21st century when it comes to to um, Viking art or what you would call it today. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think it's such a shame that we don't, we disregard these magical capabilities that I was talking about because it's so inherent and so important to the art styles. Yeah. And I think for me at least, that's where all the uh, the juicy stuff is. And it's it's uh, wolves and and stuff like that. It's all good. It's uh, cool and stuff. But but man, there's so much good stuff in yeah. in the uh, in the other things uh, with the shape shifting and the uh, yeah all the different uh, ways of of um, of uh, 
creating magic objects yeah. in reality. It, really, it, it is such a frustrating thing because you know, I could I could commission you. I could say this pretty safely. I could commission you to do a very traditional design. Mm. Uh, you could spend a hundred hours on it, and it could be this really beautiful ornate thing. And I could put it on a T-shirt, uh, and I could sell, you know, a handful. And then yeah. I could get the the helm of awe, and you could do like a cool, <laughs> cool, a, a cool take on it with like a yeah. like a little Viking Age style version of it. And I could sell fuck tons of them. I could just sell loads sure. of them. And it's it is such an infuriating thing that you have to. For me, anyway, it's. it's it's difficult trying to find that balance because I I love the old artwork and I love the artwork that, that people like you do where you've you, I think it's so important of like pushing it forward and trying to discover like what these pieces mean. So mm. I I always want to try and work with that, but it's, you've got to you ha- it's disappointing because you also have to play the game. At the end of the day, it's a contemporary company and I have to sell things to keep the the company going because otherwise there of would course. be no. There would be no company if you know I could churn out a bunch of T-shirts that have really authentic designs on, but then no one's going to buy them, and then there is no business anymore. So you have to try and it, it's trying to find that that middle ground where you can keep these elements in it, but it's also this cool modern modern take, or at least what kind of I feel like you, it's shit to say, but you have to cater to the Viking bro type audience in some in some <laughs> if you way. want to make money you you gotta yeah. do it yeah that's the thing for because sure. it is it is such a big by far the biggest demographic of people interested in viking stuff are the viking bro type yeah, people so I you have like 75 percent of my followers yeah. are male yeah and you have to you have to kind of you, you you have to cater to it but i refuse to kind of go down that that path of like you know, you you everybody listening to this will probably have the sponsored ads of like, be <laughs> you've seen the teachers. It's like always be yourself unless you can be a Viking, then be a Viking. Like yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Every, like those style <laughs> t-shirts. Like I refuse to ever go down that route, and I'm sure they sell. Fuck, I'm sure they sell loads of, of them. Yeah. Um. So it's all yeah. It's always trying to find that balance of trying to put. I, but how, yeah. how how do you draw the line, or how do you? Is, do me, you uh, yeah. For me, I think I, the way I try to tackle it is try and take a very modern, or like a something that's very popular, so like the Tear Fenrir story, and then try and put that in a more traditional style, um, yeah. or like so, like we did like a like a Ragnar and in the snake pit and the Saxon storyteller did like a, a side profile of like a, a head with wrapped around with like a, a, a snake style design. Yeah. Like try and try, try, try and put that kind of mod, something that's very popular modern name that you can't, that kind of, and it is, it's, it makes me kind of my skin crawl a little bit, even talking about <laughs> it, but it is playing that game where you have to like yeah. take that, take that trigger word, that kind of like Odin, Thor, Ragnar, and then you can put that onto something, and you—it's almost like you're trying to—you get in the, <laughs> you're sn- it's like trying to trying to sneak your kids the fucking greens by hiding them underneath something yeah. more delicious. It's like here, <laughs> have have the cool artwork, 
by me telling you it's something cool. Yeah. Uh, I think that's how I try to tackle it. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it sounds like it's the way forward, man. Yeah, yeah. And runes, if, you want, if you want to sell stuff, you can oh, it's the way. runes. If you put runes on something, like yeah. that, you can just—it's so easy. The runes don't even yeah. have to fucking say anything. Just put runes on something, and people love it. Like just there, there <laughs> are runes. these find runes. Yeah, find <laughs> runes. There are these elements that just kind of—they are the, the those trigger things in you, and it, you have to just play the game to be yeah. able to. You know, to, to to make money like all businesses have to do, um, and I'm I I'm pretty set in in my in my morals when it comes to the business that I you know like we specialize in handmade things. Like I won't there are there are a bunch of companies that already they'll buy. It's so easy to buy things from India, China that are just mass produced and they're just cheap quality. There's so many people doing that, and I could probably make more money doing that just market it right and you can just yeah. ship it out but like my morals stay to me anyway that i'll always yeah, so that's support. that's where your integrity uh, yeah lies so that's, that, that's like my yeah. cutoff is like to just to try and keep things and, and work, great, with, work with people like you work people with like the saxon storyteller and luciano if we kind of try and yeah have all these people that that, that know more and support all these smaller companies i guess and yeah. It's not the best business model, because <laughs> no. Well, because, tell me about it. <laughs> but yeah, because it it, yeah. it it is a very difficult thing to to buy things from other people that are hand making them and then be able to mm. resell them for a, for a profit. It's a very difficult yeah. thing because I'm never yeah. going to try and screw somebody down on. I I know what it's like to make a handmade product, so I'm never going to be able to screw somebody down on something that they hand make. No, and there's, there's a limit for what what people are willing to pay for yeah. it, and, and I mean, of course, there is. Because so you have to find that balance yeah. of, of like, I'm gonna have to buy this from you, but I also have to resell it yeah. to be. Able, and it's so it's not the best business thing, but I enjoy it, and and yeah. hopefully we support a bunch of people. And as long as I can make a living, then I'm that's I'm the main thing, man. It's just yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I'm quite happy with just. Just being comfortable. As long as me and Rocco have a have a <laughs> roof over our heads and we can go hiking on a weekend, then I'm pretty I'm pretty happy. Yeah. So That's should great, we man. should we wrap this up and then we'll do like a little bit of a Q and A? Um sure. like I say a few more people have jumped in since we since we started. We can do a little Q and A. People can ask you some questions and or we can have an extra chat. And like I said at the start of the show, if you want to listen more of this conversation and usually the q as we go for, we can go a little bit more off topic we'll diverge a little bit um yeah and just have a, a little bit more chat so you get that bonus episode when you support us on patreon it's just patreon forward slash nordic mythology podcast i don't know if you can hear rocco in the background uh giving the odd little bark kind of a little bark yeah yeah he's telling people <laughs> like support do it through Conimo. He's he's there, the little cheerleader. He's he's letting people know. Uh yeah. And like I say, if you can leave a five-star rating and a positive review, we always appreciate it. Uh and then Jonas, if you want to let people know where they can find you and support you and, and definitely pick up your books. Yeah, well, um it's just uh com is my main hub website. And of course, on Instagram, Jonas Lamarkusen. And then I would say uh, go check out uh, Gelmir, 
Instagram.com, which is also, I think it's linked on my Instagram. Uh, and I think I, I've, I've got to hook it up on my website as well, because I don't think it's linked there. But but if, if you want to check out some of the uh, archaeological artifacts, um, I've been... I've begun uh, collecting a few uh, a few pieces there uh, mm-hmm. with links to the uh, online collections and stuff like that. So yeah. you can, for example, go check out the uh, Yelling Woodwork uh, is listed there, and uh, the Herning Beam that I was talking about before, or the Boar's Boar uh, Harness Mounts is on there too, and a lot of other stuff. So go check that out. Um, Project Gelmir on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'm, I've been I've been a little bit slack recently. I'm gonna tomorrow is my mission. I'm gonna pick up a bunch of the books wholesale to get on the website. Ah, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been meaning to do that. I've had yeah, I've had a fucking whirlwind of a of a year. So, but yeah, I keep, I've been meaning yeah. to. Do, so I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that tomorrow. I'm gonna make sure I, I get some of them so you'll be able to find it on no worries about it. And we're and we've been working on something behind the scenes that we're going to tuned. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do a few little bits, which is a lot of fun. I can't wait for that. Uh, but yeah, this has been a lot of fun as I, as I thought it would be. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll jump over and do a little bit of a Q and a, like I said, if you want to listen to that, you can get awesome. all the Q and A's with the guests on Patreon. Perfect. <laughs>